Last week we looked at the beginning of this um, chapter 8 in Romans. I'm calling this series The Life God Has for You. And I want us to begin by reading the first four verses of chapter 8 once again. We read these last week, but I want to read them again for you. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. So listen as I read to you from God's Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And in your handouts, there's at the top uh, a little table like this. And last week I briefly went over this with you, but these are the four weeks that we're going to be looking at uh, here in Romans chapter 8. We'll focus on each each one of these uh, one of these each different week. So when you feel like I'm no good or I'm unworthy, God says to you, "There's no condemnation, and I can know that I have liberty, freedom from condemnation." When I feel like I'm never going to change, I'm never going to change, or this this change has taken far too long. I just can't put up with this anymore. God says there's no domination over your life. And I know I can have victory. When I feel like my life is falling apart, and some of you after the service last week said this was one you wanted to hear. My life is falling apart. There's no desperation, God says. And I know I can have a life of expectancy. And then we'll finish up the series with when I feel like there is no future for me, if you knew what I've done, there wouldn't be a future for me. God says there is no separation. And I know that I can have security in Him. So let's pick up. Romans 8 goes from no condemnation to no separation. And it's one of the most reassuring chapters, I think, in the entire Bible. It assures us of the very things for which we condemn ourselves. We're, we're our worst critics. We ourselves. And anytime you condemn yourself, anytime you live with this attitude of, I'm just not going to make it, remember these two things, the two major points. The first one is this. You've got to hear God's promise. You've got to hear God's promise. There's two different verses that I want to look at or take you to. The first one is earlier in the book of Romans, before chapter 8, uh, Romans 20, and it says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
Why did God give the children of Israel the Ten Commandments? Not to make them righteous, but to show them that they needed a Savior. They couldn't do this on their own. They had to have a Savior. That's the, the therefore of condemnation. That's the therefore of summing up the first part, the first bit of Romans. Why is that? Well, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means each one of us in here. Each one of us. And what's the standard? The standard's not whether I'm better than you are. The standard's not, well, I went to church this Sunday. I, I prayed every day this week. I read my Bible. The standard is God. God and His righteousness. God and His righteousness. Uh, therefore, we all have a problem with our understanding of sin. And no one can become righteous. No one can have that right relationship with God by doing good things, by doing good works, or by trying to be a better person. That is not how it works. Romans 3.20 again says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But there's another therefore. This is the one that starts off chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise that one is. Um, this is one of the places in the Bible where um, I don't... I don't agree with the way it's divided. You know, the divisions between the chapters isn't something that God ordained. That's something that the printers of the Bible devised back in the 1600s, 1700s to, to be able to print sections of, of God's Word uh, consistently from one printing place to another printing place. And this is one of those places, I think, where there's separation that they agreed on is, is, is not a good one. Let me show you what I mean. If we look at Romans chapter 7, verse 25, the last part of verse 25, it says this, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Reading right on. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The thought carries over from chapter 7 to chapter 8, and I think we have to have that thought in mind as we read the beginning of chapter 8. You see, change happens. Transformation happens because of what Jesus has done. And Paul's going to show us just how incredible that change can be. If you're going to quit condemning yourself, and that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Again, we're our own worst enemies. If you're going to quit condemning yourself, you have to see and hear God's promises to you. And when you really hear God's promises about condemnation, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Then you start to see yourself in a new way. You start to treat yourself as God would treat you. 
no condemnation. What does that mean? What does that mean? So often when I give you a definition of, 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 of a term, I like to tell you what it doesn't mean. So what does no condemnation not mean? No condemnation does not mean no mistakes. We all make mistakes, don't we? No condemnation does not mean no failures. We all fail from time to time. It doesn't mean no sin. Obviously, we all sin. It doesn't even mean no struggles, because we all have struggles in life. We're promised that we're going to have struggles in this life trying to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. But it does mean that we struggle without condemnation. It means that God has begun to treat us in an entirely new way. Well, what does it mean? What does no condemnation mean? It means at least four things. First of all, God is not angry with you. God's not angry with you. In Jesus Christ, we have made peace with God. And because of that, God understands your struggle and my struggle with sin. Look at Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. God tries to help you. God tries to help me in our struggles. He is not angry with us. For a lot of us, when we, uh, when we get caught up in doing the wrong thing, you ever been caught up in doing, you knew you were doing the wrong thing? We're looking for that lightning bolt to come down out of the sky. What's God going to do to me now? It's the way we feel. There's a totally radical fault I would like for you to remember. Next time you're caught up in some sort of sin, instead of looking for that lightning bolt, look for God's loving arms wide open for you. You see, when I realize that God loves me no matter what, I work harder to overcome that sin, to find the solution for that sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. God is not angry with you. Secondly, God does not punish you if you are in Christ. Again, in Psalm 103, starting in verse 10, He has not punished us as we deserve for our sins. Thank goodness. For His mercy toward those who fear and honor Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. God does not punish you. Um, let me be clear on this so you understand. He does correct us. Any good parent is going to correct their child. If they just let the child run kind of free range, that's not a good thing. But he doesn't punish he wants to help us, as a matter of fact, to do the right thing. For some people, when they're feeling guilty, everything, every single thing they do seems like a punishment from God. You get up in the morning, and your car won't start. 
And this condemnation thing is in the back of your mind. You think, God's getting back at me for what I did yesterday. You have a bad day at work, and this condemnation thing appears once again. It's that thing that I did. I know it is. God is getting back at me. You go over to Taco Bell for lunch, and there's no meat in your taco. And you're thinking, God's getting back at me. The only trouble is, there's some guy right over there who's a vegetarian, and he's saying, God's getting back at me because my taco has meat. And we all think from time to time that way. It's not that God's out to get you. Most of the bad things that happen in life are just because we're part of this world that we live in. The world is full of bad things. We are in that already, not yet, in-between time that is known as the kingdom of God. But sometimes God does discipline us as children, as His children. And when He does that, when He does that, it's going to be direct. And it's going to be clear. And you won't have any doubt in your mind exactly what it is that he's talking to you about. You have the sense that he's trying to get you to change your way, your behavior. It's not just a no meat in the taco sort of thing. God's not out to get you. God is out to grow you. That's what he's out to do. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. And number three, God doesn't reject you. Psalm 94 says this, God will never walk away from his people, never desert his precious people. See, God's never going to cut you out of his family, out of his will, once you're, once you're uh, in. He'll never treat you as anything less than his own son or his own daughter. Never. Never. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the one who shouldered your sins is never going to give you a cold shoulder. He's always got his loving arms wide open, welcoming you back. God will never reject you. No condemnation means this also, number four. God does not keep his blessings from you. He doesn't keep his blessings. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. To whom does he give the spiritual blessing? What's it say? To those who are in Christ. Sometimes we fail to receive God's blessings the very blessings that God wants us to have. But God never stops giving those blessings. Yes, there, there are consequences for our sin. There are times in our lives, all of our lives, when an opportunity is lost, when a ministry is lost, when a family is lost. But I want you to hear this. As a believer in Christ, He will never cut you off from his blessings. If you think about it, there's times when we waste his blessings. 
There are times when we don't take advantage of the blessings that He's given to us. There are times when we grieve because we, we've lost the blessing that we might have had. But you know what? There's always other blessings in the pipe for you. Now, I don't want that to sound like a license to sin because it's not. Who hasn't lost something because of sin? Which one of us here has not at some point in your life lost something? Something very important to you because of the sin. We all have. Many times that makes us feel like we've lost everything. But that's not true. Yes, grieve the loss. Be honest about the loss. But also realize that God has not cut off his blessings for you. So our big idea for the day is this. Hey, if God doesn't condemn me, then who am I to condemn myself? If God doesn't condemn you, then who are you to condemn yourself? Some people think this way. If God doesn't punish me, then maybe I ought to punish myself. Or, what about, if I punish myself, then God won't punish me. If God doesn't condemn you, stop condemning yourself. You're free in Christ. The practical side of all this is condemnation doesn't even work. It doesn't change us. I mean, if you try to push someone into doing something, to condemn someone into doing something, well, they do. Eventually, they fight back, don't they? You push them so far, but then they fight back. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for, for, whom? for, for those who are in Christ. And in Romans... Paul talks about this in terms of two different men. He polarizes everything in, in Romans around two different men. He says we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. We're either living the old way, Adam's way, the sin in the Garden of Eden, the fall, the separation from God, or we are living in Christ, a new way, a new creation, a new relationship with God. And it's only those who are in Christ who enjoy the great blessing of no condemnation. It's not for those, hear this, it's not for those in a ministry in church, serving in some ministry. It's not for those who belong to a church, it's not for those who are in a nice Bible study group. It's not for those who are in a good mood most of the time. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that it's for those who are in Christ. And for me, just speaking for myself, I think I need to hear that over and over and over for it to sink in, for me to really believe it. It's one of those true statements in Scripture I need to hear it a lot of times. And I need to think it through, process it, and then come to the realization that, you know, 
I really don't have to condemn myself anymore because God doesn't condemn me. That's the promise. God's not angry at you. He doesn't punish you. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't keep his blessings away from you. And the second thing is you've got to see God's process in all of this. How did God do it? How did he work out this no condemnation thing? Well, in Romans 6 through 8, those, those three chapters, if you read them, you will, you will see this process, and it happens over and over and over again. It's a simple process. It goes like this. You can't. God can. Here's how. You can't. God can. Here's how. You can't. God can. Here's how. You can't. I mean, isn't that what the world says to us? It's the exact opposite to what, what the world says to us, I mean. The exact opposite. The world says, oh, yes, you can. Oh, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. But God's honest with us. And God says, no, you can't. You can't do everything. There are a lot of things we can't do. But you know what? God can do them. And he's going to show us how. That's what Paul's going to talk to us about in these last verses in, in uh, the section that we just read. He's going to talk about two different kinds of laws and how those laws work. So how does God work out this no condemnation thing for those of us that are in Christ? It's all about one law that set me free from another law. There was a law that I was under and now I'm under a new law. The old law was the law of sin and death. And this, this law of sin and death reigned in my life. It had control of every part of my life. You know what? I worked to do the wrong thing. I worked hard to do the wrong thing. And you know what my wages were? That's the rule the world runs on. But God brought in a new law. A law that overwhelmed, overcame this old law. The law of the spirit of life overcomes the law of sin and death. Look at it in Romans 8, 3-4. For what the law, and it's talking here about the, the old law, the Mosaic law. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son, that would be Jesus, in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. See, the law of sin and death, it's in the rearview mirror. It's in the background now. It's not gone, not completely gone. It's just overwhelmed by this new law. There's still an old law in this world, the law of sin and death, but it's been overcome. And it's true, isn't it, that sometimes one law can overcome another law? I mean, think about the law of gravity. The law of gravity. And we know that the law of gravity can be overcome by the law of aerodynamics. We have planes that fly every day. They overcome the law of gravity. 
The law of gravity is something as simple as, as this marker right here. If I take this marker and I drop it, what's going to happen? It's going to hit the floor, isn't it? And I think every time I drop it, it's going to hit the floor. It appears that way, isn't it? Every time. But I might be over, able to overcome or to intervene with that. If as I drop, oops, I put my hand out and stop it from hitting the floor. If I drop it, and maybe I catch it this time, and I, I stop it from hitting the floor. I've overcome the law of gravity. Not only do, can I do that, but I can raise this marker higher than it was when I started dropping. And that's what God did. That's exactly what he did. He brought life into this world. We were falling. We were in a free fall, spiritually speaking. But he not only caught us, he lifted us up. He lifted us up high. There's a new law at work in our lives. That's called the law of the spirit of life. And it's exciting to see this word spirit here in Romans chapter 8. Paul calls it the law of the spirit with capital S. Because Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. There was this important change that takes place in chapter 8 in Romans. This is only the second time, you see, that the Holy Spirit has been talked about in the whole book of Romans. Only the second time it's been mentioned. He's been kind of kept under wraps, kind of off the radar screen, if you will, up to this point. For example, Romans 7 is all about what, what you can do. It's all about your trying to live your own life. And then we get to Romans 8. It's all about how the Holy Spirit can change your life. Romans 8 is all about what happens when the Holy Spirit enters the room, if you will. How everything changes the moment the Holy Spirit walks into the room. The moment that the Holy Spirit walks into your life. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 separate times in this one chapter. Chapter 8 of Romans. It's filled with how he can make everything new. Something different out of every part of your life. And how does God do this? How does he replace one law with the other? Well, it's a simple five-step process. And we'll go through it very quickly because it's so simple. Just exactly how did God replace the law of sin and death with the law of life? God did it this way in verses 3 and 4. He sent his son, Jesus. That's number one. That's the first step. He sent Jesus, his only son. Number two, in the likeness of sinful man. See, it's not just that God sent Jesus into our world. It's that Jesus came into this world just like us. Just like you and me. He came with a body just like us. He was born into this world just, the, just exactly like we're born into this world. God didn't just send Jesus as, as an ambassador or as another angel or as a messenger or as a prophet or even as a good man. God sent him as one of us. 
And why did he do that? Why did God send him that way? Number three, to be a sin offering. <clears throat> to be a sin offering. In the Old Testament now, they knew what a sin offering was. You may not know. An offering that was brought to God and given to God to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And in some way, I want to try to pay the penalty for my sin. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him, that would be Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus did something for us. Jesus did something for you that you could never do yourself. The Son came just like us to be a sin offering. What does that accomplish? Number four, he condemns sin and sinful man. Why is there no condemnation for us? Well, it's because sin has been condemned in us. God doesn't condemn you. He sees the worth in you. But what he has condemned is the sin in you. He says it's useless. It's worthless. That sinful lifestyle. That addiction, that lying and cheating and stealing, that sex outside of marriage, it needs to be destroyed, he says. That's the simple truth of the gospel. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's the truth that I want you to hear above everything else. Don't miss it. And what's the result of his condemning sin in us? Number five, Jesus fulfilled the righteous law in us. He fulfilled the righteous law. All the requirements of the law were fulfilled in us because Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Not only did he pay for our sin, not only did he take the penalty for us, but he also took all of his goodness, all of his righteousness, and he put it on us. Put it on us. Let me show you what I mean here. Joey, come up here just a minute. Joey's a big guy. Have a seat. And if this represents Jesus' goodness, his righteousness, and Joey represents, well, he represents Joey. He represents all the sin in his life. God can't look at Joey because of his sin. He can't look on sin. But this verse says that God took his goodness, his righteousness, and covered him up. What's the result? The result is that when God looks at Joey now, he doesn't see Joey. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the goodness of Christ. Joey is covered in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, sir. That's how the new law 
is reigning in your life because of what Jesus Christ did for you and did for me. That's why you can live according to the Spirit. Since you live this new way according to the Spirit, you can experience the life that God has for you. A life of liberty. A life of freedom. Next week we're going to look at verses 7 through 18. And those verses are for those of you, if you look at your little table there, who have said, I feel like I'm never going to change. I'm never going to change. It's not happening fast enough. I don't know how to do it. Help me. And if you felt that way, then make sure you're here next week. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit changes us step by step. So next week we're in week three of the summer series, The Life God Has for You, A Life of Victory. Next, next week. Some of you have, some of you have condemnation in, in one particular area of your life and you just can't seem to deal with it. You can't seem to let God get a hold of it. I mean, you may give it to Him and then you take it back and give it to Him and take it back. You, you say to yourselves, I know I'm forgiven by Christ, but I sure don't feel like it. I want you to remember that God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He condemned sin and sinful man, and He fulfilled the righteous, righteous law in us. Let's pray. God, thank You. Thank You for Your plan. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the process. Thank you for loving us so much that you would divide us something like this. Thank you for sending Jesus as a sin offering in my place. Help me to understand that. Help me to understand the significance and the overwhelming love that was shown. As we come to this table today, we're reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread and he said, friends, this is my body that is broken for you. And after the meal, he took a cup and poured wine in saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new law in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you remember my death until I come. He said, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. It can't be soon enough. The act took place the next day. The transaction, the exchange, our sin was placed on him. He died for you. He died for me. What great love that was. As the servers come, I'd like you to take a few minutes to just in your own mind. Take, take inventory, if you will, of where you are in your relationship.
relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you where you want to be? More importantly, are you where he wants you to be? And if you're not, then take this time to speak with him about that. Make it right. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Doesn't matter what you've done. You think you can't be forgiven for that? Oh, yes, you can. It's already done. His love overcomes all of that. Some of you may not may not be at a place where you can say, I am in Christ. I use that term a lot of times today, some last week, in Christ. In Christ. Do you belong to Him? Have you allowed Him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life? Have you turned everything over to Him? Would you like for Him to be your manager? I know in my case, man, I've messed up my life. I thought I could be my manager, and it was a mess. I was happy to finally turn it over to him. I mean, really turn it over to him. I had for years said I was a Christian. I had for years thought, oh, I'm doing the right thing. But there's something about that word submission that has to come into play. Turn it over. Maybe today's the day that you're going to do that. Our ministry... Uh, members are here on either side. I think we may even have one in the back thing, Kenya, uh, that would be happy to, to pray with you this morning about any issue you have, particularly about that issue of, well, I'm not real sure that I'm in Christ. If you're not, don't leave here today without knowing. It's so important. Come to his table this morning. Come to his table. He's got liberty table of freedom from condemnation. Come. He's calling you by name. All the baskets here are for your connect cards and your tithes and offerings and the servers all have wine and if you choose not to use wine, there's juice available. Just let them know and they'll make sure you